develop this message today under the title, Baptismal Objections. We need a sermon on baptism at least once a year. I don't think we had a sermon on baptism last year at all. So it's time we had one. And this might be two sermons in one, but uh, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll see about that. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged, they acknowledged God's justice. Having been baptized with the baptism of John. Now, who was John? John the Baptist. John wasn't a Baptist, but he was a baptizer, understand? But the Pharisees and lawyers, the lawyers are the scribes, the experts in the law of God. They were baptized too. No, what does it say? Rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. So what do you have here? You have some people acknowledging God's justice, being baptized in the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not being baptized by John. You see, apparently, even back then, people were objecting to baptism, weren't they? They were confused about it. Uh, they were just rejecting what was being taught, and we live in that time today. And so this morning, we will develop this message uh, on objections people have to the subject of baptism. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, your word is truth. It has survived the critics and the scoffers and the skeptics and down through the ages. It is our spiritual mother. You told us you have been born again through the living and abiding Word of truth. Well, Father, as we address this most critical subject, most controversial subject, most confusing subject, may we who have ears hear today what the Spirit said in your Word when you wrote it through your Holy Spirit through men. We, Father, want to believe the truth that sets us free, and we pray for your blessing in that regard as we preach, Father, not our words, but yours. For in your words are found life, an eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. couple had booked a short-term cruise in their community, like what people would do in our neck of the woods. As a matter of fact, the man just told me yesterday that he did one of those uh, evening cruises, him and his wife, uh, on Friday night. So they were aboard this good-sized boat, and as it was leaving the, the port and heading out to the harbor, the wife saw some rocks that were sticking up out of the water. She got kind of alarmed at that, being on a boat ride, and here are rocks sticking out of the water, and she had access to the captain, and she said to the captain, do you know where all the rocks are? And he said, no, but I know the safe course. 
I don't know where all the rocks are, but I know the safe passageway. This message today may, may create some rocks in your life, if you will. And you might think, well, what about this? And, and what about that? And what about this example and this, this story and that story? I, I, I'm here to tell you, I don't know where all the rocks are, but I know the safe passageway. And that's what we're going to hear and learn about today in this message. As we will learn, there are a lot of false ideas about what the New Testament says about the subject of salvation and as it relates to the topic of Christian baptism. And, I, and I'll tell you why there's so much confusion. I don't think there's any topic in this book about which there's more misunderstanding than today's topic. And I attribute that confusion to one person, and that's the devil himself. He has muddied the water, and that pun is intended. The text that I read says that the Pharisees and the lawyers, the experts in the copy of the Scriptures, they rejected what? They rejected God's purpose for themselves, refusing to be what? Baptized with the baptism of John. The Bible says in Luke 7.30, they rejected God's purpose for themselves, refusing John's baptism. And there are a lot of people today who, who reject God's purpose for themselves because they refuse not the baptism of John, but the baptism of Christ. I know a preacher who had a lady who actually told him, I'll go to hell before I'm baptized for the remission of my sins. And she was li likely a prophetess. Can you imagine someone saying that? I'll go to hell before I do what the Bible says. So there are obviously uh, uh, people still in our day who reject God's will for them because they reject Christ's baptism. Let me say something here quickly about John's baptism. John was a, a unique man, wasn't he? Uh, clothed with a, a camel hair garment, eating those uh, grasshoppers and and uh, he set up shop at the Jordan River. I like to say that John was Jesus' warm-up act. You go to a concert and, and they have a band that comes out before the main attraction. Well, you, who are they? They're the warm-up act. You didn't pay to see the warm-up act. You paid to see uh, the star. John was like Jesus' warm-up act. He came preaching, telling people something big's about to happen. You need to straighten up and fly right. And John was baptizing people. But you must understand this about John's baptism because there's confusion in people's minds about John's baptism and, and Christian baptism, and they're not the same. John's baptism was for Jews only. Okay? The Jews were the people of God, right? John was only baptizing Israelites, calling them back into a right relationship with God under the law of Moses. He was only baptizing Jewish people, his brethren. John's baptism was also temporary. It was just to, to get these people ready for the main event, who was Jesus. John said, repent, be baptized. 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Also, John's baptism gave the forgiveness of sins, but it did not give the gift of the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was for remission of sins. Jewish people received forgiveness of sins with John's baptism, but it did not give the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was temporary for Jews only. It did not give the Holy Spirit. Sometimes well-intentioned people will, will say to someone they're trying to get to be baptized, well, Jesus was baptized and therefore you need to be, but that's really not the best, not the best argument because Jesus received John's baptism, Bible says, to fulfill all righteousness. And uh, that baptism is not the same as Christian baptism. And you need to understand that. Memorize those three things. Jews only, temporary, and also did not give the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to present to you 10 objections as quickly as I can that people give for rejecting Christian, for rejecting not John's baptism, but Christ's baptism. And here we go, in no specific order. Number one, baptism in the New Testament is spiritual and not water. Now, please understand that all, that all these objections, this is, when it, this is the only time that I ever give main points that are not true. Okay, except for number eight, which we're not there yet. All these main points are not so. The bullet point in your outline gives the right answer to this objection. But there's an argument that says when baptism is mentioned in the New Testament in regard to salvation, it is not water baptism like that picture shows, but it is spiritual baptism. People like Chuck Swindoll would hold to that idea that whenever the Bible says baptism and salvation, that's spiritual baptism. So people that believe that have this kind of an idea. They say, when you believe in Jesus, your soul, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit and you are saved. And then somewhere down the road, a few weeks later, a few days later, or sometime later, a few months you're baptized in water as an outward sign of what God already did inside of you. So you're baptized when you believe in Christ, they say in the Holy Spirit, and then you're baptized in water as an outward sign. How many baptisms is that? We got one person knows the answer. Let's look at Ephesians chapter four, verse five. It says, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, not two. There is one Lord, who's that? That's our Lord Jesus. There is one faith, that's the body of truth revealed in this, in this book. And there is only one baptism, not two. You see, the truth is there's only one baptism. It is both spiritual and physical. It is both spiritual and physical. The one baptism has two realms to it, if you will. It has two sides to it, a physical side and a spiritual side. John 3, 5, I already read this in the call to worship. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, guess what that is, born of water? That's physical. And the spirit, guess what that is? 
That's spiritual. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you cannot go to heaven. That's what Jesus said. Here's what the Hebrew writer said, Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Got to have faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That's spiritual. That's my word I put in there. And our bodies washed with pure water. That's there is one baptism. It has a physical realm <clears throat> and a spiritual realm. Having our bodies washed and our hearts cleansed. There's not two baptisms. There's only one with a physical element and a spiritual element, both combined in that one event. That's good teaching. That's number, that's one down. We only got nine to go. Number two. Cornelius was saved before his water baptism. Again, that's a false idea. My opinion. The conversion of Cornelius, and anybody know where it's at? Anybody know what book it's in? Take a guess. The book of Acts. Anybody know what chapter is? Acts chapter 10. I believe that's the most, the subject that people are the most confused about in the entire book of Acts is the conversion of Cornelius and his household. People are confused about that in a great way, and I'm going to try to un unconfuse the confusion here momentarily. It is true, it is true that God worked a supernatural act in the life of Cornelius. What a sight that must have been. Let's look at the scripture, Acts 10, 44. While Peter, who's Peter? He's the preacher. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell. What's that word, four-letter word after fell? Upon, say upon, upon all those who were listening to the message, that's Cornelius' household, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter, those are called Christians, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Yes, Cornelius and his family worked a miracle there, but what you have to understand is this, that right there did not save Cornelius. The Holy Spirit fell upon him in some type of an outward manifestation. He spoke language he's never studied, but you've got to understand this. Cornelius is the first non-Jew to become a Christian. And the Jews who are now Christians, called circumcised believers, think that Gentiles are lower than whale dung. The reason that God did this was to show Peter and his prejudiced Jewish-minded evangelistic team was that Gentiles are now welcome to Jesus as well. The ground is level at the foot of the cross and whosoever will may come. That's why that happened. That did not save Cornelius. He spoke in tongues to show the evangelistic team that Gentiles can now become Christians too. Does that make sense? Are you listening? That's good teaching. Then Peter said this, Acts 10, 47, Allison. Surely no one can refuse the water. What water? For these to be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? For them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. When he says, receive the Holy Spirit, just as we did, Peter's talking about on the day of Pentecost. When the apostles, what did they do? They spoke in a language they never studied. That's what he's talking about there. He's saying, Cornelius, they spoke in languages like we did. Therefore, we can't tell them they can't be baptized because God is showing us that Gentiles are welcome to Christ just like we Jews are. 
So let me ask you a question. Why was Cornelius baptized? What did he need? Which is what? What does salvation consist of? Saved from what? Forgiveness of sins? To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why he was baptized. This speaking in tongues thing was a sign to the evangelistic team that Gentiles are welcome to get in the water like the Jews were. Make sense? You see, there is no other New Testament equivalent to Cornelius' salvation because it is unique. He's the first Gentile to become a Christian. And if people are being saved that way today, I want somebody to show me. Show, show me somebody who's Spanish, who can speak English. But I'll, I'll believe it. But this is a unique conversion only to Cornelius because, again, I said it, what, four or five times. He's the first Gentile to become a Christian. The application is this. Cornelius was saved at his water baptism and not his tongue speaking. You want to advance the PowerPoint. You have that? Cornelius was saved at his water baptism and not his tongue speaking. Why did Cornelius speak in tongues? To show Peter and his six Jewish, now Christian friends that Gentiles can become Christians also. When he spoke in tongues, he was not saved. He was saved when he was baptized. That's why Peter said, we can't, we can't refuse them the water. Can you, now, can you now explain that text? Can you explain that text? What happened there to somebody else? We've got two down, eight to go. Jesus saves, not baptism. An argument that people make is it sounds spiritual. Jesus saves, not baptism. It is true that Jesus saves. <laughs> Yes, he does. The question is, when does Jesus save? It is true that Jesus saves. The question is, when does Jesus save? When you read of a condition for salvation, you must ask yourself this question. Are there any other conditions written anywhere else that I must also follow? When you read of a condition for salvation, you must ask yourself, are there any other conditions listed anywhere else? that I must also adhere to. Jesus is the first one who taught us about his baptism. Maybe a thousand times I've quoted this scripture from this platform and this floor, Mark 16, 16. 15 and 16. He said to them, go, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. He who has not believed shall be condemned. Say what it doesn't say, does not believe and do not be baptized. No kidding, Jake. If you don't believe, baptism's a moot point. But let me ask you a question. Did Jesus say, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved? Read the bold face type for yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's pontata ethnos, every people group. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all, observe all I've commanded you. Some people say, oh, baptism is just part of the teaching. It's the first step of obedience. I read that last week. Somebody said that. It's just the first step of obedience. Jesus separated baptism from the teachings. He said, you go and make disciples. You baptize, then you teach. Baptism is not the first step of obedience. and It's not part of the teaching. Yes, Jesus saves. And he saves. He said, baptism saves. 
Jesus saves, and he said, baptism saves. There's the correct application to that objection. Well, Jesus saves, not baptism. <laughs> Jesus saves, and he's the one who said baptism saves. I didn't make that up. Jesus did. Didn't he say, unless you're born of the water of the Spirit? Three down, seven to go. We're saved by faith alone. One of the arguments is, I hear it all the time, we're saved by faith alone. It is true. It is true that faith is a condition of salvation. It absolutely is. <clears throat> What's the golden text of the Bible? That's right. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. 25 words in the 13th word is the word son. <laughs> He gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That, that's, that's a condition for salvation is belief or faith. You have to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There are others that will not appear on the screen. You want to write, take your notes here? Here's a couple others. Acts 16, 31. Paul and Silas told the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your entire household. Acts 16, 31. Ephesians 2.8, by grace, through faith, are we saved? Are you saved? It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8. You see, faith is a condition for salvation, but it's not the only condition. Faith is a condition for salvation, but it's not the only condition. You see, faith is the means is the means of our salvation, but it's not the occasion. I'll show that with, to you in this way. Faith is the means to salvation as opposed to works, but it's not the time of our salvation. When I was a little boy, I was taken to church and had trouble sitting still and having trouble keeping my mouth shut. The teacher used to write on my report card, David talks too much, David talks too much. Still true. I came to believe in Jesus when I was a little boy. When I was five years old, I believed in Jesus. I was in Sunday school every week. I believed in Jesus just like those old 50-year-old people in our church, real old people. Did that, did that make me a Christian because I believed in Jesus? I, I was taught Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, but I had no interest in being a Christian. I was interested in sports and sports and sports. I, did, I went to church because my mom got my arm behind my back, sometimes literally. I did not want to be a Christian. I was rebellious. I was rebellious against God. But I still believed that story. I believed it. That didn't make me a Christian. Because I had not repented of my sins and denied myself and taken up the cross and followed Jesus. Just because you believe does not mean you're saved. Nowhere does the New Testament say we're saved by faith alone. Nowhere does it say that. The New Testament says nowhere that we're saved by faith alone. It says we're saved by faith, but not only that. James chapter 2 James said this, I'd have a comment quickly on this. You see a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. What in the world are you talking about? Well, 
Understand this, James in that chapter was emphasizing works in a relative sense. His point is if you have faith, you will work. Listen, if you have faith in Christ, you're interested in his work. You will work. So James means that in a relative sense, if you have faith, you will work. He's not saying in that verse, you can work your way to heaven. It's not what he's saying at all. We don't have time to go further into that. But James tells us not by faith alone. You see, faith is like the opening of your soul. When you come to faith, it's like the opening of your soul so that God's grace can be poured in in that act of when we're baptized. That's four down. We're ready for number five. Baptism is a work and works do not save. One of the... Uh, one of the biggest arguments that people present as objections to being baptized is they say, baptism is a work. If you tell me I got to be baptized, that's salvation by works. I've heard that a hundred thousand times. Not that many, but you get the point. Don't tell me I got to be baptized. That's a work. And if the Bible says works don't save, you're right. The Bible says works don't save. Romans 3.20. <laughs> by the works of law, no flesh we justified in his sight. You know all those people we know who think they're going to heaven because they're good people? They're not going. They're not. And then let's go eight verses down in the chapter. Romans 3, 28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of law. You bet he is. When the Bible says we're justified by faith, Paul is contrasting that with works. He's saying there's two roads to heaven, the faith road and the works road, and one of those is permanently closed. The works road is permanently closed. That's his point. What are works of law? They're like, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt honor your father and mother. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. That's, those are works of law. Or all the laws of the New Testament, love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another. You do all those things perfectly? No, of course not. What I'm sharing with you is this. Baptism is a gospel command and not a work of law. Let me ask you a question. How many of you take medicine every day? I take medicine every day. Let me ask you a question. Would you consider taking medicine every day equal with washing the car, mowing the grass, and painting the living room? Would you consider them equal things? No. Washing the car and mowing the yard and painting the living room, those are all what? Work. But taking medicine is simply following the doctor's order to, to feel better from whatever ails you. But is this something you do? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Listen, baptism is not a work in thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It is a gospel command. It is not a work of law. And those who say it is don't understand the New Testament. The truth is this, baptism is a work. It's God's work. It's the work of God. Did you know that? Yeah, baptism is a work. Not your work, not my work. It's God's work. Colossians chapter 2 says, having been buried with him, baptism, see, baptism is a burial. 
which you were raised up with him through faith in the what? Whose work does that say baptism is? The working of God. This is God's work. Yes, baptism is a work. It is God's work, not my work. Gospel commands to believe and to repent and to confess Jesus and to be baptized are not works of law. When Paul says we maintain by a man is justified by faith apart from works of law, he's not talking about gospel commands. Are you listening? Number six, we're halfway there. A physical act cannot have a spiritual effect. One of the arguments that people make against this subject is, oh, you don't tell me anything, don't tell me anything physical can have any effect on that which is spiritual. Let me ask you a question. What was it that plunged the human race into sin? What did, what, what, what did, what did Adam and Eve eat? They ate uh, an apple or a pear or a peach. Isn't that something physical? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Food is kind of physical, isn't it? You see, they, they, they did a physical act that brought the world into sin spiritually. But people argue, oh, you can't say uh, uh, there's any, you can have a, a spiritual effect by that which is physical. It sounds good, but it's just pfft, bogus. We've already pointed out that baptism is not only a physical event, it's also a spiritual event. Titus 3, 5 says he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done. You know, all those people think they're going to heaven because they're a good person. Guess what? They're not. <laughs> not in deeds, which we have done in righteousness. Um, so good. God's going to let me into heaven. No, he's not. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, that's a physical act that brings about a spiritual result. Regeneration means brought to life. That which is dead is brought to life. And the King James says quickened. We're, we're dead in sin, but we're, we're brought to life in that act. We're spiritually alive, renewed by the Holy Spirit. You see, there's no, there's no opposition or contradiction between flesh and spirit. For example, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he, we saw his glory of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Who's that talking about? Jesus, the word became flesh. Let me ask you a question. What's the most important event in all of history? The answer is the resurrection of Jesus. That's the most important event in all of history. Paul said, if Christ is not raised, you are still in your sins. Was that a physical event? Let's back up three days from that to this. A physical death brought about our spiritual salvation. A physical death brought about our spiritual salvation. And on that note of those who argue, oh, don't tell me something physical can bring about something spiritual. When you think about that, that argument is very weak. Jesus told us to remember him in one event. 
He said, this is my body, this is my blood. Isn't that kind of a physical act we partake of? Pretty physical, isn't it? We, we eat bread, we drink fruit of the vine. Jesus gave us a physical act, a physical event to remember what he did for us, purchased for us spiritually. So this idea, don't tell me a physical act can bring about spiritual effect. The Bible's full of that kind of stuff, man. <laughs> the death of Jesus, the resurrection, the Lord's Supper are all physical things that brought about spiritual reality. Number seven, argument people make is people who have never been baptized show forth Christ-likeness. One of the arguments that people make is there are people who've never been baptized and they, they act more like Christians than people I know who are Christians. I was in a meeting, September 2009 to be exact, with a sister congregation. In that meeting was me and another man, an elder in the church, and and, and nine other people from this other sister congregation. And the preacher in that congregation said to me, he named off a lady named Diane. You don't know Diane, but he knew Diane and I knew Diane. He said, what if this preacher at the Christian church said, what about Diane? She, show, she shows forth Christ's likeness. And she doesn't believe what, what you're saying. Well, let me ask you a question. Did the people in the Old Testament possess the Holy Spirit? Did Israel possess the Holy Spirit in mass? The answer to that is negative. The leadership did. The Spirit came on Moses. The Spirit came on David. The Spirit came on Samson. The Spirit didn't come on the regular people. Joel said a day is coming when God will pour forth his Spirit upon all flesh, but it ain't today. Let me ask you a question. Do you think any of the people in the Old Testament were loving? You think any of them had peace or joy? Of course they did. A person, did you ever know a non-Christian that was loving? Of course you have. A person can be loving and not, and not have the Holy Spirit. But if you have the Holy Spirit, you will be loving. A person can have self-control to a degree in some things. <clears throat> the Bible says in Acts 10, we've already talked about this man, one and two, that Cornelius was a devout man. He feared God. He... Gave many alms. He was a generous man with his wallet and he prayed continually. We'd make that man a deacon or an elder. He was a feared God, a devout man, gave and prayed. Was he saved? He was not saved. That's why Peter came and told him what to do. Take a look at this next scripture, Matthew 7, Allison. Here's what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not everybody who says amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, is saved. Okay? Everybody who says, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, is saved. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, what day, what day? The day of judgment. Lord, did we not, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we cast out demons in your name? In your name, we perform many miracles. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Just because a person says, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, doesn't mean they're saved. Jesus told us as much right there. I never knew you. You see, understand this. Salvation is, based, is not based upon experience. 
but it's based upon truth. Salvation is not based upon experience, but it's based upon truth. You see, salvation is not based upon how I feel. It's based upon the facts of God's Word. On November 27th, 1983, I'm coming up on 40 years. The last Sunday of November, I'm coming up on 40 years. On that Sunday, I stepped out of a church pew at a small church building, and I went forward and confessed my faith in Jesus. And, 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 and when I did that, I felt like a ton of bricks had been lifted off me at that moment. Does that mean I was saved because I felt good? You know, you know, you know, what, that, you know what that feeling was? It was me surrendering my will to God. Our church wasn't ready to baptize anybody. We didn't have any water to baptize. We went eight miles down the road to another church and I was baptized in room temperature water. That's when I did what John 8, 32 says. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Don't confuse conviction with conversion. Don't confuse surrendering your will with being forgiven. We're not forgiven when we feel like it. We're forgiven when we obey the truth. The truth. Yeah. Too many people walking around trusting their feelings and not the facts. Number seven, number eight, we're getting there. This is the only one of these nine principles that is true, right here. This is the only one that is true. The thief on the cross was saved without being baptized. That is absolutely a fact. He was. One of the two thieves that uh, was crucified alongside Jesus, you know that. We talked about this back in the spring, still spring, I know, Palm Sunday. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he knew he was dying. The man had faith and Luke 23, 43, he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is equivalent to heaven. Did Jesus forgive that man? And can anybody else answer in here? Can, did Jesus forgive that man? Absolutely he did. Absolutely he did. Now let me ask you a question. Did, did the people who lived under the old covenant under the Old Testament law, the, the Mosaic law, did they need to be baptized to be saved and go to heaven? No, they didn't. You know why? Because it didn't exist yet. <laughs> Baptism didn't exist yet. Jesus gave us that after the resurrection. It's sort of like saying, somebody said to you, what did you do on June the 12th, 2023? I don't know. It hadn't happened yet. <laughs> you can't. You can't obey something that doesn't exist, can you? Remember that guy they let down through the roof? They dug the hole in the thatch roof and let the man down through the hole? The paralyzed man, paralytic, Mark chapter 2. What did Jesus say to that guy? Get up and walk. Your are forgiven you. Were they? That man forgiven that day? Oh, you better believe he was. If Jesus said to you, your sins are forgiven, guess what? They are. Did he say that to you personally? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. After the resurrection, Jesus instituted his baptism, not John's baptism, his baptism. 
And then after the resurrection, it became a part of the conditions for salvation at that point. So our application is this. Christian baptism did not exist when the thief died. Didn't exist until a few weeks later after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That being said, even if it did exist, he still wouldn't have needed it because Jesus forgave it. Is Jesus here to say to you, Joe Brown, your sins are forgiven you? Is he here to do that? He ain't. <laughs> he isn't. Jesus gave us a way to be forgiven. Baptism was added to the conditions of salvation after the resurrection number nine. Baptism is the New Testament replacement for Old Testament circumcision. Colossians chapter two, Paul made reference to uh, baptism and circumcision in the same breath. Here's what he said. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made what? Don't, don't miss that. Without hands. Without hands. And the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Circumcision of Christ. The circumcision of Christ, when? Having been buried with him in baptism. Paul connects circumcision with what subject? That's right. In the 1500s, there was a Swiss man named Haldrick Zwingli. You're supposed to go, boo, next time. Haldrick Zwingli said, everybody who lived before me was wrong. He was a modest guy. Everybody who lived before me was wrong on the subject of baptism. I'm now right. Zwingli read that text. He said, I, I get it. Baptism is the New Testament replacement for Old Testament circumcision. When a male child was eight days old in Israel, he was circumcised. Let me ask you a question. When that male child was circumcised in Israel, did that save him? No. It was simply an outward sign that he belonged to a family of faith. Zwingli said baptism is the New Testament replacement for that. There it is. And therefore, baptism has nothing to do with being saved. As everybody believed first, the first 1,500 years of Christianity, people believed baptism was a salvation event until Zwingli came along. Baptism is just an outward sign like circumcision. It's because the Bible says so in Colossians chapter 2. No? Advance the PowerPoint, Allison, if you will, please. Baptism is a spiritual circumcision, not a physical one. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there are two circumcisions in the Bible. There is the circumcision of a male child when he's eight days old, and there's a spiritual circumcision. And I asked you when we looked at that, Allison, can we go back to that Colossians 2 passage? Look at the bold-faced type. 
He said this is a circumcision made without what? Way I got it figured. Be kind of hard to circumcise a male child eight days old without using your hands. Right? Paul wasn't talking about that. Guess what circumcision he was talking about? Spiritual circumcision of the heart. We're not talking about the removal of the body of the flesh. We're talking about the circumcision of Christ. When you're buried with him at baptism, you're raised up with him through faith. And whose work is it? The working of God. Jeremiah 4, 4. Get down, Allison, thank you. Notice what, notice what the prophet says. Circumcise yourself to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart. Here's a, you get a test question right here. As you read that scripture, do you think Jeremiah is talking about physical circumcision or spiritual? You got it right. You all got an A today. See, there's a, there's a spiritual circumcision also. Here's one more, Jer- Acts chapter 7, verse 51. Stephen was preaching. He said he saw, he saw that his audience wasn't listening. He got mad. You men are stiff-necked, uncircumcised, and hard in ears. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Was Stephen talking about physical circumcision or spiritual? That's right. Uncircumcised and hard in ears. You, you know, you just won't listen. You're rejecting. Number 10, not bad. Paul said he came to preach, not baptize. Yes, uh, people say, well, pe- Paul said he didn't come to baptize, came to preach. Did, did Paul say that? He did. <laughs> he did. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.17, where he said it. <clears throat> Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. People who know their way around the Bible a little bit like to quote that verse in opposition to the aforesaid topic that we're talking about today for the remission of sins, gift of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul said he didn't come and preach come baptize, came preach. In the church at Corinth, they had a problem. People in the church were exalting men. Some said, hey, I'm 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 of Cephas, I'm of Peter, Peter's name, the Aramaic. Some said, I'm of Paul. Others said, I'm of Apollos. And the real spiritual ones said, I'm of Christ. Paul asked those people three questions because they were dividing off into schisms, into into factions. He asked them three questions. Here they are. Has Christ been divided? Yes or no? Has Christ been divided? No. Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Was he? No. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius that no one would say you were baptized in my name. That scripture assumes two things. Number one, those people were baptized. Because Paul said, were you baptized in the name of Paul? That assumes what? They were. And Paul said, I, I know that I baptized Crispus and Gaius and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm whoever, I'm not sure anybody else. Uh, Paul's point is, 
The Lord didn't send me to count heads of baptism, how many people I baptized. That's not why I'm here. The application is this. Paul did not want people to boast that he baptized them. He was definitely not minimizing baptism at all in that text. The context proves it when he says what he did. <clears throat> Understand that years ago, there was a uh, debate took place out in the Midwest and between a denominational preacher and Church of Christ preacher on the subject of baptism and salvation and the denominational preacher, preacher got up and he proved that you do not have to be baptized to be saved. He proved that. Problem was, the other preacher didn't show up. Somebody else going to take over? Do, you know, and this one fellow sitting there said, well, I'm not, I'm not a debater. But I can do something. He stood up behind the podium and he said, he opened his Bible and he read. And Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Closed his Bible and said, yep, it's still there, and sat down. 